We are joined by another awesome guest. His name is Harry Sample. Harry, do you want to introduce yourself to our uh, listeners, please? Hey, hello, everyone. So uh, my name is Harry, and I am a PhD student currently based in Amsterdam as part of the Polythea program. And our aim is to see how how light can save lives, basically. You know, that's my PhD. Outside of that, I'm a team cyclist and a terrible cook. That's awesome. We're going to touch on a few of those things uh, later on in the episode. So I mean. Just to get started, then you talked there about the Polyphia program that you're kind of part of. Could you like describe your research in a few sentences for those that maybe don't know what you do? Yeah, of course. So my research is based around a treatment called photodynamic therapy, where we take drugs that interact with light and put them in situations where they can kill certain types of tissue. So they can kill cancerous tissue or be used to sterilize surfaces um, through photo antimicrobial chemotherapy. And the Polythea program is uh, an EU-funded consortium of 10 PhD students placed all over the continent, and we're all working at different aspects of P- of PDD to make it better and more efficient. Interesting. You also recently had a, a first author pa- paper, right? I did, yeah. On um, molecules that that had to do with. Uh, I'm not very familiar with this. I was trying. I was did. I did my best to understand, <laughs> uh, but I had like a ton of questions. I did like uh, seeing palladium catalyzed cross coupling, oh. and the application of that. So I was like, okay, I know that. <laughs> so could you could you tell us maybe more about uh, what you were studying uh, for for those who don't have necessarily the background. Yeah, of course. So whilst in PDT, we can develop the photosensitizer, the, the drug in question, and make it better itself. Another attack we can take is putting multiple photosensitizers around a system. And thus, if we can deliver that to the tissue or the cell in the same way, we inherently have more photosensitizers in the tissue that can if more effectively destroy more of the tissue. So the point of this paper in question was to see, because we put these photosensitizers, they're called BDPs, around a moiety called tetraphenylethylene and varied the linkage between the two. We wanted to see first and foremost if you could do it because it was something nobody had done before. And secondly, we targeted the tetraphenylethylene because once we put the bidippies on there, we knew we'd have multiple photometric responses, or at least we hoped we did. And then what we did is, so we made these complexes, varied the linkages and analyzed the arrays with respect to a property called aggregation-induced emission. More about that, I'm going to have to direct some people to some fantastic reviews by Ben Zongtang. But it's a property where as the concentration of your moiety increases, the luminescence goes through the roof. And we we found that for one of our complexes, we still managed to retain those properties of aggregation-induced emission with all the photosensitizers acting independently and the moiety still intact. At that point, this was just the synthesis, but fingers crossed we'd get to put them in some cells or on some surfaces at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I was more curious about like the application now because the, the synthesis part makes sense like as a chemist. Like, yeah, yeah more of the the biology behind that and do you do you work a lot with biologists or I haven't actually started my work with biologists yet I'll get onto the moving stuff later but polythea is based around the combination of the three aspects of PDT in the sense that we we have synthetic chemists we have photophysicists and we have biologists both cell biologists for the cancerous tissues and microbiologists for the packed side of things as well so yeah that's part of the reason I've moved, I, as I've said, and as people will probably know from Twitter and stuff, 
Uh, I recently just moved to Amsterdam and that's part of the program in the sense that I'll be doing some physical work whilst out over here. So the biology will be coming hopefully sooner rather than later, but it definitely won't be in the next couple of months, let's put it that way. Would you say that would you say the work then potentially presents an avenue to, you know, to pick a thing around curing cancer, you know, who who isn't trying to do that nowadays? You know, would you say there's a potential for that with uh, with this work in the future? Um, I'm going to loosely say yes, mainly because I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of the phrase curing cancer mm-hmm. um, because of the way cancer is and how it works. It's not something we can realistically cure. And no. I know that's a, something people don't want to hear. But the way I, I like to think about it myself is that you'll, you'll have a sort of flow chart. And in there, you'd be like, what kind of cancer does this person have? Do they have any underlying illnesses? And depending on the cancer and other questions, you can decide, decide which treatment is right for them. There are multiple cancer treatments out there, and a lot of them are really not great for the patient. And whilst I'll happily admit PDT is not perfect, it does circumnavigate some of the issues with some of the other main therapies out there. So as long as we can make PDT as effective as we can and make it a viable treatment option for people, I will you know, always work towards that. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, good to know. So I guess one of the things that personally attracted me when I was looking at your Twitter profile was the the different flags. So you have like PhD and then a couple of different flags. So I, I assume you, you traveled a lot during your PhD or did different collaborative works around the world. So could you, I guess, yeah, could you could you talk about that more? Yeah, so being English, um, I did my, my undergraduate degree at the University of Hull under the supervision of Professor Ross Boyle, if anybody knows him or anybody is interested. And then I was fortunate enough to move to Polythea, and that's all based on the continent. We have no collaborators in England, to my knowledge. Um, I hope I've got that right. We have collaborators in St. Andrews, but that's uh, slightly different. So my the bulk of my work was based in Ireland, in Trinity College, Dublin, with Matthias Senga, and then currently in Amsterdam. This is where photophysics will take place at the University of Amsterdam, supervised by a chap called Professor René Williams. And then the other flag will be the Portuguese flag. I head there in a couple of months to do some cell biology with Dr. Ligia Gomes de Silva. And this is just a handful of the universities and academics we have involved in Polytea. If I remember rightly, we have seven main different universities. We have a couple of industrial partners as well, and many more lecturers besides. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. The amount of traveling I have done, okay, honestly, pre-COVID was sensational. I'd never traveled so much in my life before that. And it's been an absolute joy, been a real pleasure. Obviously doing my undergrad in England and continually being surrounded by just English people. Most people don't tend to think it, but it is surprisingly sheltered. And when you move countries and such, it is a fantastic and massive eye-opener. I mean, Henry, you'll probably relate to this from your time in Canada, Yeah, of course. I, I don't know what you'd think, but I would wholeheartedly recommend people move, uh, well, if you can, move countries and study just for, even just for a year, for a couple mm-hmm. of months. It is an yeah. incredible experience. Stressful, I agree, but I, I wouldn't have had it any way, any other way at yeah. this point. No, it is an absolute shame that I think now with, you know, Brexit, especially in the UK, the Erasmus programme, I've heard that, you know, it's not as it is well, going to be in the future. You know, it used to be that you could go to Europe for a year, you know, study, but now Brexit, you know, it's less uh, it's, it's less e- easy to do so. And I don't know how it is to go to the US and Canada now, but certainly more difficult, potentially. Absolutely, a real shame. Yeah, but like, that's that's like one of the things that, that I really, really like about 
being a PhD student is that because you have a, such a great opportunity to learn different areas. So you were a synthetic chemist, now you're turning into a photophysicist and then you're gonna do some cell biology. That's so exciting, I'm really excited. For uh, I'm glad you're excited for me. I'm currently just nervous for myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I, I'll be on the other side of, fingers crossed on the other side of this as a, an interdisciplinary scientist. And that's the way scientist is going. That's what we all need to be. Yeah, honestly, there's, there's not much more I can add to that. It's just an absolute pleasure to be part of this program. No, it's pretty, I mean, was, so it was Polyphy. It sounds like a you know, fascinating program for, from many angles. Was it something you're aware of prior to kind of going down that route? Or were you kind of you know, introduced to it by somebody? How, how did that work? Um, so when I was doing my undergrad, I did both my bachelor's and master's projects under the same supervisor um, and some other work besides. And I said, I'm, I'm really enjoying this work. I think the stuff you do is fascinating. Um, is there a chance, you know, you'd let me uh, do some more work with you, do a PhD with you? And he said, look, I'll, I'll have a look at some funding and see what we can do. And he got back to me. And unfortunately, it wasn't the case. I was like, ah, OK. So in the nicest way possible, who would you like me to work, you know, who would you think it would be good for me to work for that's along the same lines? And I got a, lost, a list of emails. I sent some emails. I think out of the six emails I sent, I got four responses, which was pretty good. I followed up on a couple of those leads. And that's, that's how I got here, honestly. I didn't, I had no idea about the program. I knew the names I was given through just conversations I'd already had in the lab with the other PhDs and postdocs. But in terms of what funding they had or what programs were going on, no, I had no idea. That's pretty cool. And, you know, the opportunities you've kind of been given, you know, from it is, is, is brilliant, you know, not just for yourself, but also your network as well, you know, getting your name known to others, um, you know, across the globe, which is, um, which is brilliant. Like you say, being an interdisciplinary scientist is, you know, I think everyone's dream, you know, so uh, brilliant. What does it stand for, Polythea? <laughs> so this is this is an interesting question I, I got asked this in my in in my interview for the position and I had no idea and apparently nobody else did we've discussed this so what I remember from the interview is that it stands for or oh, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this but we'll find <laughs> out porphyrin library therapy application oh. so P-O for the porphyrin L-Y for the library th for the uh, therapy and A for the application um, that's what I remember from the interview. I remember thinking, well, poly is Greek for lots and Thea, I, I, I was stumped. So that was, that was a fun last question to an interview. Um, I'll put it that way. To be honest, when I saw it, I, I thought exactly the same, Harry, you know, polythea and you know, yeah. the amount of kind of Greek and chemistry. It was like, well, you know, it could be. But, uh... we, I mean, it's funny. We have Greek industrial partners and even we have, uh, we have a Greek student as part of the program as well. And I asked her um, when I came out, she was like, what, 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 what do you mean? I was like, what does it mean? And she just said, I, I don't know. I wonder whether someone just came came up with the with the explanation on the spot, like you know, just let's because it's very random. Like you have T H E for like because usually abbreviations stand for like the first letter, right? But here it's just all random. So I'm just I'm just very skeptical. I'm like very... I know that's what I that's what I thought as well. That's why it took me so long to to understand it. I think you know, certain interviews like what on earth could the o be and like what how many words begin with the letter y that are related to this apparently it was uh, the brainchild of the project coordinator uh, stephanie les stephanie leroy les uh, i've absolutely butchered that pronunciation i'm sorry stephanie but yeah apparently it was her brainchild i i didn't know so yeah 
So, I mean, like you talked there briefly about kind of your move recently to Amsterdam. Like, how, how was that? You know, you said you're quite tired in the uh, in the intro just then. Kind of how has it been? Yeah, it was a really couple of stressful, uh, really stressful couple of days in the lab prior to leaving. The night before I flew, a couple of my colleagues who were still in the office writing some stuff up, they were like, Harry, just, just leave. Uh, we will do the last few tiny jobs. Just leave. You need to catch your flight and pack. Um, so I did leave and I left the building at around... I want to say somewhere between 9.30 and 10. And then it got, I was packing as soon as I got home. And it got to about one in the morning. And my flight was at uh, 6.40. So I had basically had to finish up by 3.30 to get in the cab and do all the rest of it. And I knew I wasn't going to make that flight. Um, so I changed my flight, got some sleep packed, and I flew later that day. And so that was the main bulk of the stress. Having not flown or gone, gone through an airport for a while, it was very, very strange. It was scarily empty and then getting to Amsterdam yeah after I landed it was all very much plain sailing the move has been really simple still haven't unpacked as I've said and I'm just happy to be back on the continent people are amazed to hear me say do you really like the continent that much I'm like yes I love it it's it's so different and I think it's fantastic Ah, it is fantastic so I mean you know for those of you in the UK kind of wanting to go to Europe how, how is that kind of thing you know given you know, the current situation, like, is it quite easy, you know, borders? And that kind of thing? For me, it wasn't too bad. I had a, a letter from the academic who I'm working for saying that he is, you know, this student is coming for academic reasons purely for a month and so on and so forth. So the minimal, the hassle I did get at border control was, you know, quelled rather quickly. It was a case of, can you show me this proof? Handed the letter and it was straight through. I can't speak for other countries, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a surreal experience. Obviously being a British male up until this point, I'd never really been stopped at a border. I know a lot of a lot of my colleagues genuinely do have real troubles getting visas and traveling to different countries. And obviously this goes, there's nothing close to the struggles they go through at all. But it was it was a strange experience for those 10 minutes where it was a question of, am I, am I gonna get allowed into this country? So yeah. Have you had the fun of a, a blue passport yet or a year? Is that no? Come? No, I haven't. My my current passport is good until 2025, actually. Mm-hmm. Same for, same for me, actually. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Medina. What's the color of the passport in the US? Is it is it? Blue I am or? not a US citizen, but it's it's. I think it's red. I have no idea. I can tell okay. you the color of passport of Azerbaijan if you're curious. But that's that's as far as I can what, tell you. What color? What color is it? It's green. Ooh, lovely yeah it's a very cute color cool. but i think it's red but i'm not sure yeah so i was uh, when you said amsterdam i was like wow this is such a perfect because you're a love cycling right and that's like when i've been to amsterdam i was like oh my god there is not even a single car that i saw in like hours that i was working uh, sorry walking and um it was amazing i think this is a perfect I'm, I'm yeah i think it's going to be very exciting for you to just like enjoy the i mean summer is over but how's the weather now there i feel like it should be fine still to so I'll, I'll be honest um from what i'm seeing from my windows and i've been outside today and i can confirm it's blue sky not a cloud to be seen Amazing. it's absolutely incredible oh, so yeah i'm thinking of cycling up to edam tomorrow mm. um partly to say i've been to edam it's not just cheese it's a place <laughs> um so yeah I, I'm amazed by the cycling infrastructure myself. I've never seen anything like mm-hmm. it. I know. The one thing you do have to watch out for is the school kids uh, <laughs> commuting to work. They, uh, yeah, aside from that, no, it's it's incredible. So very lucky to be a cyclist in this country. 
Yeah, I think I, I love Europe about like that's what one of the things that I love about Europe because usually it's not like even in, in Germany and other countries in Europe, it's not like in the US or Canada where you can't just survive without a car, especially if you live in a very small in a very small city. Because that's just my experience. Living in Toronto, I never needed a car because of the transportation and everything. But like in Rochester, I'm like, okay. I, I came literally on the like 23rd of August and on the 24th, I booked my appointment to, to get my first like G1, you know, the learner's permit for my drive. Like I can't live here without that. Yeah, so the point is, it would be nice to, to just have a bike because I think it's environmentally friendly and it's convenient, it's cheaper. It's just so nice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I was going to say, we all probably saw the IPCC report on, on climate change recently and saying that, you know, move towards net zero by 2050. So I think, you know, the Dutch and, you know, other European countries that are moving towards not, you know, not having cars, I think it's brilliant. I think the UK needs to obviously make that shift as well. And depends if you're outside London, probably you're able to, you know, use public transport and cycle and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, within London, even now, it's a bit more difficult, I think. No, I agree. It's, it's getting difficult everywhere. I remember in Dublin that the entire city centre is slowly becoming pedestrianised. Um, and even in Amsterdam, there's a, a low emission zone that I saw on Google Maps. I'd never, I've never come across that ever. But I, I don't know what's happening in London. I'm assuming something similar with the pedestrianisation. And again, across the pond, you guys rely so heavily on cars. Is it a realistic goal that people will move more towards cycling? I don't think so. I, I like to be optimistic. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I think, you know, more people you know, should try and cycle but at the end of the day. You know, like you said, Medina, it's just not viable for some people who, who need a car for, you know, whatever reason. So, yeah, it's just distances, you know, distances are so much bigger in the end. Like the, the, the thing that's annoying me is like the distance is not like, oh, another pretty place to see. No, it's like literally lands and lands of like nothing. <laughs> like just either occupy it or just, you know, cut it. I don't want it. I just want, I don't know. Sometimes I just want to live in Europe because it's like, oh, two hours here, like in France and, you know, just hop on a train and ah, it's great. But, you know, everything, there, there are good and bad things in, in all places. So. I was talking uh, today with my friend about it, that there's this saying, I don't know whether there's saying in English or not, but uh, let me translate it. It's like, it's good in the place where you're not currently living. Like you, you sit somewhere and then you're like, oh, like it was a good time when you lived there. Or like it was such a good time. But when you go there, you're like, oh, actually, never mind. It's the, the other place because you don't live there. So you idealize it in your head. So I think that's that's the thing with with me yeah that's that's definitely relatable so harry i mean yeah talking about cycling do you have a favorite place you've cycled ever Ooh, that's that's a difficult one okay no i do i do it's actually the wicklow mountains national park so if you go about an hour hour and a half south of dublin you actually hit some vaguely mountainous terrain uh, for ireland some of the views up there are absolutely stunning it's, it's the most mountainous place I've ever ridden. And for the proper cyclists listening who are used to, you know, the Passageau or the Tourmalet, for example, they're not climbs at all. But for Ireland and for me, it's, 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 it's a good challenge. Um, and yeah, it's my absolute favourite place to cycle at the minute. Part of me wants to say where I first started road cycling back um, just outside Hull, East Yorkshire. But that, that's not true. <laughs> I can't say that. So yeah, the mountainous terrain is where we belong, really. That's awesome. 
There are different types of cyclists. I know there are a very fancy cyclist with all the equipment and stuff. And then there are like, you know, amateurs. So who are you in, in that category? In terms of skill level, I'm absolutely an amateur. <laughs> in terms of how I look, I don't, I, I, I like, hmm, I might look like an overweight professional cyclist, but <laughs> that's the sense I'm going to take. So yeah, that, that, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with, actually. That's what I'm going to go with. Nothing like a 2000 cost of like a, a, a bicycle with like a fancy, you know, clothing and oh, stuff, no? That, that is me. It is annoyingly expensive, but uh, <laughs> we, we don't, we don't ah. it's, it's the one thing about cycling. We all love it and we all get into it. But the thing is, everyone that's in cycling knows it's horrifically expensive. Uh, um, so it's just oh that looks nice do you want to talk about no I don't want to talk about how much it costs okay yeah let's go for a coffee yeah, yeah nice yeah I'm sure uh, I'm always into the indoor kind of velodrome cycling during the Olympics obviously we had Tokyo recently and I think someone quoted the cost of one of their carbon uh, what's it nano nanofiber bikes whatever they are like they're 10 grand tops you know it's expensive you know Ooh. have you ever have you ever considered kind of indoor cycling or have you always been more of a road cyclist? Kind of? I would love to give indoor track cycling a go. I would absolutely love to give it a go. It, for me, it, it, even as a road cyclist, it is far more entertaining to watch. It is just full, you know, hell to the leather power for, you know, a couple of minutes, maximum five minutes realistically for certain events. And it's just so fast. And the bikes look sensational. I mean, you're quoting price on some of them. I believe it's the Malaysian squad, the sprinters, they had personal bikes made and they were each 60,000 pounds. Um, wow. It's, it's extortionate, That's... but they absolutely look sensational. I'm going to preface that by excluding uh, the Team GB bikes from this year. I'm still not sold on their looks. Uh, they are drastically different designs. Um, and I believe that Team GB are currently in the process of trying not to get sued by someone who put out a patent a few years ago with a very similar design. So that's something to watch for. Mm, definitely. <laughs> yeah, track, I, if someone said, here's a track bike, do you want to go? I would jump on it without a moment's notice. I think, uh, yeah, I think I'd like to give that a go as well. I've not ridden a bike for years, but, you know, if the opportunity arose, I'd definitely uh, jump on that. So. Well, you'll never forget. That's, that's very true. <laughs> So we always have a random question in each episode, and today's one is, what's your favourite TV show? And, and why, I guess. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so are we going things I've watched all the way through, or like singular? No, that doesn't matter, because my answer is always going to be Breaking Bad. I have watched Breaking Bad through and through, and I absolutely adore it. Quite funny, we're, we're, we're 14 episodes in, and, you know, first chemist that said Breaking Bad, so, you know, you, hey, you've got that, got hey. that accolade. It's, it is absolutely sensational. The character development throughout is second to none. And you develop real emotions towards these characters that, you know, they're just characters. And it's done so, so well. Even at the beginning with the shoplifting stuff, when Jesse's girlfriend passes away, that's that, those are genuine emotions at the end when, oh, spoilers, sorry, when whatever happens to Walt happens to Walt, um, it's painful, but it is. And when Hank realizes, it's just so captivating. I'm. I don't know if I watched that all the way through my first time as a result of procrastination through writing my master's thesis, but it was around that time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's got to be Breaking Bad, I'm afraid. That's that's nice. 
No, that's pretty cool. What about you, Medina? Do you have a favorite TV show? Uh, I I don't think I do. I I, the, the, I don't know. I I fall asleep all the time when I watch something. But I I, I don't know. That sounds very sad. Um, I'll I'll try to think about it while you come up with with yours. Yeah, I don't know. I'd say probably. You know, I've I'll admit I've never seen Breaking Bad. You know, I don't know. Sue me, I guess. But wow. yeah. I know. I, now, now you said that, Harry, I'm going to have to go, go and watch the episode <laughs> later on. I think you're going to hate me more, Harry, because I tried to watch it three times and I can't. I do not like it at all. I know no. everyone is going to hate me right now, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's funny how when you said it, I started like laughing. I was like, okay, I have to be quiet. Just be quiet. <laughs> I know so many people that take your line on that because the first I want to say two and a half seasons are solely character development and there's no real nitty-gritty that you associate with Breaking Bad I think it's only really when Gus gets into it and it goes large scale that things get really hairy and people get really interested and drawn into it but no I, I this is what I say skip at least skip the first season if you really want to watch it and get into it and then maybe go back because there are some questions it does answer really well but I can certainly understand your point of view. Totally understand. Okay, okay, thank you. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd say mine, yeah, either Doctor Who or The Big Bang Theory, I think it's one of those two, you know, classic Ooh. kind of TV shows. Yeah, although Doctor Who, I think, you know, has gone downhill since David Tennant, not gonna lie. I was about to ask, who is your favourite Doctor, in which case? David David Tennant, for sure. I mean, you always have one, I think, that you've grown up with, and for me, that was, yeah. that was David Tennant. So I've heard rumours that Ollie Alexander could be the next Doctor. I don't know if they've... You know, said that for sure yet, but just uh, reading, you know, Twitter. So yeah, keep my eyes peeled. In which case, I think in high school, in yeah, I came up with one. <laughs> when in high school, when I was I was watching Glee, it really changed me. There's a character there that I, that was like my role model. Maybe that's why I'm so annoying and, and bubbly now. Um, <laughs> that's uh, Rachel Berry. Oh, so much. I just I just had flash just had flashbacks to Glee. Now I've got Artie in my head. The, the guy in the wheelchair. So. Kevin. Mc- McCart, I think. That's so weird. Like two people from that show died. Like for like no three people. It's so creepy. I'm like, oh my god, what's happening? Like as soon as it ended, three people passed away. Oh lord. For like weird reasons. Not like I mean one like two were like normal reasons, but then one person just got lost in a lake with like she was this Naya Rivera, such a talented person. It's very sad. So she was with her son in a boat and then she just disappeared and they found her son. Like something, I don't know, it's it's very spooky. Oh Lord. But it's it's weird. I don't know why we, we turned that into a dark. Uh, no, no. But uh, the, the, the songs, there's so many good songs. I keep, mm-hmm. there's a Glee playlist if someone is a Gleek, which is what we call us, um, on Spotify. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk, talking about great music, I guess uh, it's, it's topical to talk about ABBA, if anyone's a fan. I don't know, Harry, yeah. are you an ABBA fan? Or? Oh, I have not listened to the new stuff. I know that's where you're going, so I'm just going to bite the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet. Um, I am a fan of ABBA. I, there was a point in, uh, it was when Pride Month started, I was adamant that I had to put some ABBA on in the lab. And I found this playlist on Spotify, and it was, this is ABBA. I was like, aha, perfect. This is just what I need. <laughs> and oh, honestly, it went down like a lead balloon. And I know people like ABBA, but the playlist was appalling. <laughs> so I need to, I mean, unfortunately, I'm not in the lab anymore. I will pay someone to put on ABBA for a day just to say, just to, you know, make sure not everyone thinks that ABBA are trash. So, uh, 
No, I think I think they have a good few songs. I think you know, like you say, certain ones aren't aren't great, but uh, yeah, no. No, I, I, I've got to be careful what I say. I'll have a uh, Nick Giappini on me if I yeah. keep going. <laughs> I was just about to say shout out to Nick Giappini, yeah. who is shout out to Nick. Abba, Abba fan, yeah. No. Abba, Abba super fan, I think. Abba yeah, for sure. yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of good, uh, you know, artist fans, uh, or I guess music yeah, fans. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's a good transition, actually. Nice segue into kind of barbershop. So we talked about in your kind of info before the before the episode about you doing barbershop previously. Could you? I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Could you talk about that? Kind of what inspired you to go on that bandwagon? Honestly, it it wasn't much of an inspiration as much as I was dragged along. To be honest, it was my girlfriend at the time, and it was her best friend's boyfriend. He was he was into barbershop from being a young age through his dad, and. My girlfriend was like, come on, you're coming along with me. I'm like, where, where are we going? And she's like, barbershop. And I'm like, oh, what? And I, yeah, for the first couple of weeks, I was, I was still very hesitant. And it got to a point where it just snapped. And I, I, I loved it. But I, you know, I, I want to use the phrase I took to it like a duck to water, but that's absolutely not true. Um, I just fell in love with it. For me, it, it sound, it, it, the sound of just pure voices is utterly sensational. And the sense of camaraderie when you get those chords to ring and everyone's happy and it just matches. It's such a, it's, oh, it's incredible. I love it. I still listen to it if I'm alone in the lab nowadays. I'll still listen to it walking to and from places. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And I know it's not on everybody's radar. And I thought it's it's actually you were talking about the barber shop, like as a as a shop. So could you tell us more about what, what were you referring to? As a, were you refer, referring to the barber shop or like is it a band or like barbershop quartet kind yeah. of like? Uh... So barbershop is a, a style of a cappella singing. Oh, um, okay. typically. Uh, so originally it was for males, and thankfully now you do have. Uh, for women and mixed quartets that sing and compete and such. No, I'm not just a fan of getting my hair cut. It's a fan <laughs> of... And that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, this is so nice. Like you're inspiring. Uh, uh, you just love cutting hair. I mean, it, there's something nice about I wonder it. If, I wonder if there's barbershop in the US, you know, maybe it's under a different name. Perhaps. No, barbershop in the US is a, a massive, massive thing. The international internationals every year are huge. You can watch the previous performances on YouTube, and honestly, I'll put that on in the background sometimes. There are some fantastic, fantastic quartets that I don't remember the name of anymore because I, I just put the playlist on in the background and just sing along and laugh along to it. It is sensational, and I highly recommend you do it. Yeah, I learned something new today. I have no idea. I, this is the first time you told me that. And, and I was reading the questionnaire and I was like, oh, Barbershop, that's so interesting. Like he was, he will be talking about that. But okay, I, I had a completely different thing in mind. But it's good that you said, because I guess it's good that you explained. I'm sure someone is going to be confused too. But yeah, just go and Google it, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Here's a question. And you'll hopefully be able to answer this, given you've been in different countries. How right. are you of languages? How are you of languages? Oh, okay. This is a fun one. So I, uh, at at school, I got a GCSE in German. I'm afraid I don't know what the American equivalent of this qualification is. Sorry. And I'm absolutely terrible at German. The pronunciation, I get it wrong every time. Having a German boss and German and Austrian colleagues in the lab I used to work in, I'm not going to say I was ridiculed for it, but we, 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 (laughs) we had some fun with it. I have tried to pick up little bits of French occasionally, but the, the, I guess the thing is that I, my philosophy with languages is I, I just need to know a few things just to get me by. Just a hello, how are you? A common response. Can I have this? Um, just to try and get myself through. And like, 
even you know i don't i don't know any dutch but even just ordering a coffee or something just like finishing off with uh thank you val i think is thank you very much i've probably yep. butchered that pronunciation as well <laughs> um so i go out with the line of i'll try and embarrass myself in as many languages as possible mm-hmm. um yep. No, I think I think German. I think is obviously quite similar to Dutch, and I think "ich möchte ein uh, Café bitte" is like "I would like a coffee, please." Yeah, that's a it's a yeah. I, I guess I, maybe I say butchered butchered that pronunciation. No, that's know. correct. I think but, I think it's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Oh. I uh, yeah, I've been doing Duolingo German and Italian for the last kind of few months. I picked it up during lockdown, and yeah, going more with the Italian because I did like you did Harry German at GCSE and then actually AS level as well. Oh. Um, wow. Yeah, didn't do it to A2 because we got into like politics and stuff. And I was like, no, uh-huh. gonna, you know, I can't, I don't know politics in English enough. So, you know, not going to do it in German. So what's the, yeah. the level you said A1, right? So the, for those who, who are... Uh, not- a, well, AAS level. So in, in the UK, you have GCSE, which is when you're, I believe it's 14 to 16. And then uh, AS is 16 to 17. And A2 is 17 to 18. Interesting. I see. Because there's also uh, a like A1, A2, B1, B2. That's like a German. Oh, uh, yeah. Knowledge. Yeah, that's a, an international language scale. That Yeah, you take tests and they're like, what level are you? So, yeah. Okay, okay. So what's your yeah, favorite so German word? My favorite German word? Ah, oh, easy. Um, okay, I've got to think about the pronunciation. I believe it's pronounced Schaldenfreude. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> they have a word for laughing at somebody else's misery. Don't wrong, I yeah. don't do it, but it is a fantastic word. Yeah. No, oh, I'm actually going to, no, I'm going to change that. I don't know the German word, but I know the English translation, and it translates okay. to grief bacon. And what that is, is grief bacon. It's the weight you put on through being depressed. I didn't realize this until I saw a very strange article somewhere on the internet. They always do this, the weirdest German words, and it, the English <laughs> translation is grief bacon. And it means the, the weight you put on if you're, you're sad or depressed. Um, that is so weird. It's really interesting. I th- yeah, I think the fun thing with German as well is they have very different words for, you know, obvious things. So, for example, airport in, in, in like most languages like airport, airport, or, you know, just airport, you know, in German, fl- flugkagen is like really, really different. <laughs> and uh yeah it just just always makes me laugh what is it a shoe is a hand glove if i remember rightly mm-hmm. or is it the other way around <laughs> so it's something like that it's it's mm-hmm. fantastically backwards yeah but it's it's very rich it's very rich though with with words that's what i that's why i love about german language and, and german cuisine as well you know bratwurst is one of my favorite things it's, it's amazing so you know oh, i have no idea on german cuisine i will i will have to take it i'm taking a trip there and at some point in my future anyway so i will i will, I will report back on this subject it's very close to amsterdam so you should i think you can drive because i drove from from frankfurt to amsterdam and i think it was like four hours five hours i, I might be i might be remembering wow, okay. but it's very it's very close and like you know the autobahn is like not there's no speed limit so it's just just drive i mean yeah you gotta watch watch your speed on your watch your speed on the bike carry like it you know i mean i mean one thing i haven't said i don't have a driving license uh so Uh, (laughs) oh you don't have a driving license oh i'm one of those people yeah (laughs) (laughs) neither neither, neither do i to be honest you know i never just you don't need it in in europe no you don't no you really don't it's it's fine trust me less less uh hey
We always kind of finish up the episode with a philosophical question, if you've kind of listened to previous ones. And yeah. today's is kind of quite a, quite a deep question. So, you know, intelligence or wisdom, what's more important for a better world, do you think? <sighs> that is deep. Inherently, to answer that, you've got to be able to separate the two. And I think you have to have enough intelligence to be able to have wisdom. But I think... Intelligence is knowing stuff and people can always know stuff. And it's when you start connecting the things you know together and putting these things together that you have wisdom. And I think it's all very well and good saying that, oh, when we divided, uh, you know, these countries, two countries were divided um, in this year. And that's intelligence. You know that as a fact. But the wisdom will come from when we divided these two countries. It was hell on earth for those people. It was not fair. And I think... I think wisdom would probably be more important for a better world. Everyone can know stuff. People can get degrees, whatever. But it's when you start to think about the implications of certain things that you, and you, and you take historical context, I think that really make for better leadership or, or even just a better future in general. And I'm definitely not prefacing this com- conversation with Brexit at all. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> listeners, um, yeah. So I'm going to go with wisdom on that one. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd have to agree. As, as you say, you know, you can learn all you need to learn, you know, from books or the, or the internet nowadays. And, you know, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily wise and able to make, you know, well-informed decisions. So, you know, I think, uh, and like you say, it's a big thing in politics just now. So, yeah, I definitely agree. What, what would you say, Medina? I guess if you go deep into it, I guess the question that came up was, would you consider, can, can wisdom exist without intelligence, though? Because if you don't know things, then you won't be. So I feel like it's, it's a hard question to answer because they're so dependent. Because if you don't, if you're not intelligent enough to start with, and you won't be able to make the right conclusions. So I feel like intelligence is more important in that sense. But of course, as you pointed out, as both of you pointed out, it's both uh, wisdom is, is important at the end, but it doesn't exist without intelligence. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I think that's really interesting to say. If anyone else who listens has a, has a view, like feel free to, to get in touch and we can discuss it further. I think it'd be really interesting. Um, but cool. Well, I think all's left to say, Harry, is if people want to kind of get in touch with you, where, where where can they do that? The best place to get me is probably at my Twitter. That's at Harry underscore C underscore sample. Um, my DMs are always open and I'm always there. Um, you might get a reply at a horrendous time, but <laughs> that's just the way my world works at the minute. That's cool. Awesome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, just thanks for being on. I mean, it's been brilliant. We've talked about it so much, you know, besides just your work. So I think it's been great. No, absolutely. It's been a been a joy to be on here. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me. I'm, I'm going to be really cheeky to say thank you to those of you that are listening currently and wherever you are in the world. I really hope you're having a good day. And if not, I hope that I've brightened your day somewhat. If I have, then fantastic. Uh, that's, uh, you know, it's always the aim, you know, no yeah. matter who we have on, just to kind of yeah, brighten up everyone's day. And, you know, as I say, we've certainly enjoyed having you on. So, you know, thanks again. It's been, it's been great. Also, if not, then just like eat chocolate. The day is going to get better, you know? That is a very good point. That is a very good point. As, as, Remus, as Remus Lupin famously said, you know, eat this, you'll feel better, you know. For anyone Touché. who doesn't know, that's a Harry Potter reference, yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll, uh, we'll finish up here for today. And again, Harry, thank you for being an amazing guest. And if people want to follow Harry, you can, as he said, over on Twitter. And you can follow us as well over at Ken Combo's Pod. And yeah, all that's left to say is thank you for listening and have a great day. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.